listening to Inside Healthy Teams by Apricot Consulting, a series that draws on the experience of experts to unearth the principles of personal and team leadership. For more information, go to apricotconsulting.us. Welcome to Inside Healthy Teams from Apricot Consulting, revealing conversations with execs and leaders designed to provide practical insights to building healthy organizations. Today, we are delighted to be joined on this podcast by Jenny Brockus. Jenny, thanks for joining us. Can you tell our listeners a little bit more about you? Thanks so much. I'm a medical practitioner, registered, and I'm also an internationally uh, recognized, what's called a board-certified lifestyle medicine physician, which is a huge mouthful. But basically, it means that I adhere to lifestyle practices in in my approach to health and well-being so i address the things like how well somebody is sleeping what their diet's like how much physical activity they're engaged in how they manage their stress all those sort of aspects in addition to what you would normally expect from a physician but i have to add in also that i'm no longer in clinical practice i used to be um, the owner of a group medical practice here in Perth, West Australia, for many years, and then decided that I actually really needed to be working differently because I really wanted to get the messages about how people can be empowered themselves to take responsibility for their own health and well-being. And I knew I couldn't do that one-on-one in my consulting room. So, so I left clinical practice and started up my own health consultancy. Fantastic. And, and tell us a little bit more about why you, you left your practice. Oh, okay. Um, that gets down to the nitty gritty with two <laughs> reasons. <laughs> One was I was growing increasingly frustrated that I felt that I was in many instances just simply applying a Band-Aid to uh, somebody's health challenge where really, it, and I was missing the opportunity to dive deeper into what was leading that, them to develop that particular condition. I was also seeing a heap of people who were so overwhelmed, overworked, stressed out, exhausted, verging on the burnout, um, resulting from this place we call work. And it was making them incredibly sick, both physically or mentally. And then I experienced burnout myself, which was probably the final, final nail in the coffin, so to speak, because I ended up having to take 12 months out to recover. Oh, wow. Which was which was massive, uh, and I lost my business. I lost my practice in the process. So, uh, big big learnings from that. Um, first being that nobody is immune to overwork mm. and burnout, and being a bit of a high achiever and a perfectionist, I'd always driven myself very hard, believing that was you know the best way to be successful. And during the twelve months where I had time to sit back and reflect, I realized that I'd got it completely upside down and that you know, nobody's put on this planet simply to work. Work is often an important part of our life, but we need to ensure that we don't lose the fundamentals of what makes us human, because that is what actually enables us to be our very best. So I now work um, in the space of helping different businesses and organizations to enable the culture to develop that nurtures and supports the individual so they can be their best version of themselves. But not only that, they feel happier, 
they feel more motivated, they, they like coming to work. And isn't that a great thing to want to aspire mm-hmm. to um, and get more out of it and feel fulfilled from that aspect, but know that they've also got time and energy to devote to those other aspects of their life, which is so important, like our most important relationships and our other passions and hobbies that lie beyond the walls of work. And what an important, relevant topic right now um, with everything that we've seen and experienced as a result of COVID-19. This year has been a massive challenge for many people. Uh, what do you see as, as big issues? I think the biggest issue moving forward, and I think it's already becoming very obvious right now, is that we are now in the grip of a second epidemic, which is of mental health disorders. Um, So many people I speak to are really struggling with uh, the heightened sense of anxiety about the current situation. They're also concerned and fearful about their future. Some people have actually become quite depressed. And the statistics are really worrying. Over the last six months, we've seen a doubling of people reporting that they've got issues with their mental well-being. And I'm thinking, crikey, we were struggling in our with our mental health services prior to COVID, where people, you know, if they did put their hand up for help, often weren't able to access uh, the services they need in a timely manner. And I'm thinking, well, how on earth are we going to, to manage this when we've got even more people who are in you know, desperate need of assistance and support in many, in many ways? So I think we have to reimagine what we can do to support each other. And I think it's going to come down to two aspects. One is uh, showing people how they can take better care of their own mental well-being. And the other is helping business leaders and owners to uh, embrace the the culture where everybody is on, you know, caring for each other. Everybody is looking out for each other so that if you notice somebody isn't quite right or seems to be struggling, you can immediately sort of know what to do and how to say it without sort of coming across as an interrogator and saying, what's wrong with you? Because I think many people are so afraid of speaking up and we know that of the people that actually have uh, anxiety or depression or other mood disorder, they don't ask for help because either they don't recognize it in themselves, they just think they're a bit tired and a bit run down uh, and they think they can work their way through it, or they they don't think they're quite ready to ask for help or they don't know how to ask for help. And then they don't want to ask for help from the services that are provided for them at work because they've they've still got this sense of I'll be discovered, I'll be found out, and then people will judge me because I think we're all a bit afraid of uh, how we are perceived by others. I mean, we don't want to be perceived as as having a weakness, although uh, I want to also um, put across the idea that, you know, somebody who is struggling with a mental health condition is not weak. We are just simply human and particularly at the moment, we're in this abnormal situation where we're having to cope with all sorts of things that we've never had to cope with before. And we all have our limits. And sometimes we just get to that point where we're not managing, we're not coping as well. And that's the time to say, okay, who can I speak to? Um, And and to find that courage from within, because actually I think it's a really courageous thing to 
to put your hand up and ask. And it's also, um, I've heard some people say, especially in the workspace, it's the professionally responsible thing to do. Because if you know you're not right and you can't deal with everything and you're just so overwhelmed with stuff, you're not going to be at your best. You're not going to be contributing to your other team members. Um, so you're actually doing them a disservice as well as yourself. And I think if you look at it from that perspective, then hopefully that can also help people to find that courage to say, actually, I just need a bit of a helping hand here. And because that's the fastest way to get it fixed. Too often people delay asking and mm. by which time it's much more severe and it takes longer to recover from, or, or they never seek help at all. And of course, there's a, a massive missed opportunity. And then people start questioning why their performance isn't so great. And they may miss out on the, the aspects of the job that they used to love and, and really look forward to. Uh, and that's a great shame as well. And, and you're right, you know, there's obviously um, the concern and, and caring for someone as a human to make to make sure that they're okay. But it's also, you know, in the workplace, it's understanding that, you know, if someone's health is suffering, that has a direct impact to performance and productivity. Sure. So, you know, the, there, there are two benefits of supporting your people better from a health perspective. You know, there's the general uh, well-being of the person, of course, that we all care for, but then there's also, you know, if, if you're proactive and looking after the health of your people, then, you know, teamwork, collaboration, performance, the productivity are all going to prosper. Absolutely, that's right. And and everybody has is invited to be on board, and that includes the leaders too. Because I've been speaking to some um, leaders recently, and they are running on empty. They are, you know, really exhausted because they are putting in so much time, so much effort to, you know, not only sort of help their business survive this this time but also because they are concerned about the health and well-being of their employees. And I am trying to remind them that you know, they've got to include themselves in that mix. Um, and by sort of sharing my story of what happened uh, when I experienced burnout, I said, you know, you cannot afford to, to not be your best self either, because especially this time when people are looking for effective leadership you know they're looking for the answers they're looking for somebody that they can count on that was going to help guide them um and if if the leader isn't looking after themselves either then then that that leadership is not going to be evident mm. and tell us a bit more about i suppose you know we're very conscious of what's happening um out in the market and in, in business right now from a health perspective but tell us a little bit more about your service offerings and um so it's what you're finding is really working and helping organizations or leaders. Yes, absolutely. I've been, I've been working in this space for just over a decade now. And uh, initially it was at a time when the brain science was fairly new and people were so curious to, to try and get a better understanding of you know, how our brains work and how, how we, you know, why we think the way we do and why other people think the way they do and why it can be so different. But over a period of time, I think that's now become much more mainstream. People have a much better understanding of how, how thinking works. Uh, and I think there's been a move towards um, how can we support productivity and performance from the human perspective, which is all about um, ensuring there's mental well-being as a, as a 
primary. Secondly, it's about encouraging people to take that self-responsibility rather than expecting the leader or the management to do everything for them um, and encouraging people to, to, to be accountable for what they do themselves. But on the basis that it's in the context of uh, a supportive environment, which would then challenge if, if they're not following um, what is now the new expectation. For example, I was um, in a coffee shop and I was overhearing, I wasn't deliberately listening in, I hasten to add, but I was listening to a manager gently chastising one of his team members for staying late, for putting in too many hours. And it was really interesting because he was doing it from a place of concern um, and saying, look, you know, in this workplace, this is not what we do. If you've got too much on your plate, this is where you need to put your hand up and say, I've got too much here. Can anybody support me to get this work done? Please do not stay late. That is not expected. And, um, you know, it, basically he was taking a dim view of it. So it was refreshing to hear that because how often do we, do we hear the reverse of that where the unwritten rule is that people are expected to turn up early, stay late, always give their 110%. And I, I liken it to changing the, the way we look after people in any workplace instead of wringing them out like a wet towel to get the last bit of energy out of them. We look for ways to support them so that they have that clarity of thought they know they've got the resources available. They know they've got the support of their other team members and, and the leadership. And it just makes work work. And I think we've just got to sort of shift our perspective. We, fortunately, we're moving away from the command and control type of workplace. Um, but there's still a long way to go. There's still a lot of unpleasant behavior. Some people aren't very nice to each other in the workplace. And it, it's a big worry. Uh, when you hear all the stories of intimidation and bullying that unfortunately still go on to this very day. So I work in the space of um, psychological safety, mental well-being, and basically how to pr provide high, sustainable high performance in teams. Fantastic. And th there's lots of um, health initiatives out there at the moment and as well as wellness type initiatives in organizations. Yeah. Tell us a bit more about your training and, and what makes your training unique in this space. I guess um, there aren't many doctors actually working in this space in the workplace. Um, so that's, that's sort of one unique thing I bring. I've also uh, been a business owner for many years. So I've, I've got that hat as well. So I've got an understanding of the challenges that many workplaces face I've also got that understanding of health and well-being at a very deep level because I've looked after so many people when, when they've had ill health. So I'm, I'm very much coming from the holistic, a holistic approach to promote health and well-being and healthy thinking. So I think that just makes me a little bit different from others. And it's far more than just providing discounted um, gym memberships or free fruit in the staff kitchen. It's really about how you create a framework that addresses the, the three areas that I mentioned before. How can you get really good at encouraging 
healthy behaviors within individuals or by individuals? How can you nurture a place where mental well-being is the norm and there are regular discussions about how to better manage challenge, stress, um, difficult people, if you're allowed to mention difficult people, <laughs> um, and also the psychological safety piece, which um, very much is, you know, we, we, we often see that it's the person who is the problem and we forget that sometimes it's the environment. So we need to address the environment that's, um, that people are coming to on a daily basis. So I think that's probably what makes me a little bit different from the others. Mm, and, and you're absolutely right. I was having this conversation with um, some clients of ours who are HR leaders and it, we were discussing the amount of wellness initiatives that are in place at organisations, which is obviously fantastic, but mm. are they really effective um, and, and really stepping back from, you know, not just having a, a yoga class, yeah. Um, but looking at what are the objectives that you're trying to achieve for your people and then designing the programs or solutions aligned to those objectives so that you really are having an impact and having measures in place yes. to track progress and actually see if you are successful. Absolutely. because it's And it's moving away from that tick the box mentality. Mm where, oh, we better put in place a health and well-being program. Well, what do we need to include in this? And they just sort of work through a couple of ideas and think, oh, well, we'll do this, we'll do that and the other. And it ends up, it's a bit of a hodgepodge. And unless it's been carefully designed, as you, as you suggest, actually taking into account, what do people want? If you don't ask, uh, it's very easy to make assumptions. And we all know how how... You know, how wrong we can be with those sometimes. I remember there was one CEO of a Finnish company who was in this, this situation where he felt, yeah, I really need to be doing something for, for my staff. So he built a yoga studio within the workplace um, and then couldn't understand why nobody went to use it. Uh, and it was because he hadn't asked, A, was anybody interested in yoga? Secondly, he hadn't looked at who was working for him, which were predominantly young women who had young children who were not uh, able to stay late for a class after work. They had to get home to their families. So, Interesting. <laughs> uh, yeah, so it was, it, was, it was fascinating here, his frustration, but, but I think he also <laughs> gained a couple of insights in that before you sort of leap into something with the best of intentions, it's actually really important to get everybody's perspective to see, well, what's going to make the biggest difference? And I think what you said before is so important. It's the so what. What if you put these uh, initiatives in place? So what? What then happens? Is it just a nice to have? Is it just a tick in the box to show how great you are as an organisation? Or is it making a real positive impact on on the, the individual who's coming to that workplace every single day. Mm. What would you like to see as the biggest changes in the modern workplace in the post-pandemic era? <laughs> oh, how, how long have we got to talk about that? <laughs> <laughs> There's quite a few things. Um, I think, first of all, I, what I am really optimistic about is that I do see that the last six months has provided a great opportunity for many people with their own businesses or as leaders of 
teams or, or organizations to reflect on what actually helps us to thrive. And it isn't necessarily about just getting on that treadmill and running as fast as you can. And I think the, the realization of this is going to lead to a change of not just in the location of where we work, where many people may be electing where possible to work more from home, but also how we go about uh, integrating work into our lives in a very different way. So, and I think primarily we need to move away from this notion that in order to be successful, you have to work harder than everybody else because overwork doesn't work and all the research supports that. And when I hear people putting in 60, 70 or more hours a week, I'm thinking, oh, we've got a problem here because it's so easy, especially if you're a bit of a workaholic. And I can relate to that because I am a workaholic myself. So it's, can I? <laughs> it's about understanding that, you know, we all have limits as to how well we think. And I, I remember one uh, statistic which, which blew my mind. Um, I've always followed the work of David Rock, who leads the Neuroleadership Institute. He's now based in the US. And he was talking about the fact, well, you know, we've got 24 hours in the day. And yet we so often expect that we can run on um, full power all, all the time. And we forget that actually we've only got, probably got two hours of really good thinking time available to us in any day. And I'm thinking, oh, two hours? I better make sure that two hours works really well because otherwise mm. I've lost it. And I, and I think it's, it sort of relates to the overwork piece because sometimes if we've got a lot on our plate and we're thinking, oh, I really must get through my to-do list and get all these things done because otherwise I'm running behind, it'll be hard to catch up and I'll be other people will be waiting for my contribution, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. We, we end up in this space of taking work home the evenings and, and uh, weekends. So I really hope that we can actually get rid of this notion that overwork works. It doesn't. It's actually the fastest way to an early grave. Um, and the statistics around the increase in the amount of heart disease and stroke and also death from suicide is really quite frightening. And I think if we get better at understanding we, we do have these limits we can put boundaries in place and be more effective I think when you get the the idea across that less is more people at first are really disbelieving they say well like how can that possibly work and I say well actually if you've taken time out to refresh and restore you're you're re-energized and just as an athlete would do they train hard for a period of time and then they take time out to do all those other things that make sure they stay fit and as healthy as possible so they can keep training and keep winning their races. And we need to treat ourselves in the same way in relation to how we go about our work. So I'm really hoping the overwork disappears. I would really like to see more kindness, more compassion, more empathy within the workplace. And I do think that's possible when we're less busy, because I, I think when we're under pressure, when we're feeling stressed, I don't know about you, Avril, but I know for myself, I get a bit snappy. I'm a bit short-tempered. So, so do I. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a relief. <laughs> um, and we're not ourselves. And sometimes we say or do things that are hurtful to other people. And if we're in that space where 
we don't have to experience all that stress. We've got better stress management strategies in place to prevent that. Then we're calmer um, and we're, we're more mindful to how we're interacting with other people. And we actually take note a bit better of the impact our words, our, our, our behaviours on, on other people. So that's, that's what I'd really love to see more of as well. And of course, I'd really like to see a turn of the tide so that mental well-being is, is part and parcel of every single workplace and that we actually see a drop in the number of people um, living with symptoms of anxiety and depression. What a, what a better world that would be for everyone. And I think to add to that, Jenny, as well, is what we're hearing from our clients, and I suppose especially for, for those in Melbourne who are still in lockdown and, and mm-hmm. constantly working from home, is, you know, previously that line between work and home was a lot clearer. Yes. Um, but now, you know, in, in a lot of cases, um, the line is blurred and, you know, you're working in your home and, and work and home life are... are um, wrapped up in one yes. and it's almost harder to have that segregation you know between taking a break and having that that time to yourself mm-hmm. and then also for some parents you know they have their kids there and they're also trying to juggle that along as well so what we're really hearing is people are working longer and and harder and not necessarily meaning that they're more productive but no it, it just is it's harder Yes, it is harder. And, and I don't think that was an expectation when we all sort of rushed off home because we had to, to work from mm. there. Uh, and, and I think everybody's experiences are slightly different. We've got some people who just love working from home. They think it's the best thing ever because their particular circumstances are suited to that. And then you've got other people who are really finding it so hard because they've got all these other um, commitments, like you were saying, with, with family and, and maybe your partner or all, all at home, um, all competing for bandwidth and space. Um, and it can be a massive challenge. And, and I think we've just got to be mindful that it's, it's not going to be a one size fits all moving forward. Um, and, you know, where you can sort of provide that flexibility that sort of provides the autonomy for people to be at their best and deliver their best is going to be really important and not inflicted. But the other thing that's um, slightly worrying that I've also been hearing is that some people are feeling less trusted in from when they're working at home. Um, they feel that their, their boss or their, their manager is checking up on them all the time because they sense that they want to have that reassurance that they are actually doing the work. And I read uh, one article which was saying that, you know, some organizations are actually putting in trackers to see where people are, you know, how many hours they've got their, their computer logged on and, and stuff like that. And I thought, Oh, good grief. This sounds so big brotherish and how destructive that is. Mm. Uh, and I spoke with one lady and she was really distraught. She said, you know what? I've worked with my particular boss for seven years. I thought we had a fantastic relationship. I thought we trusted each other implicitly. And you know what? Since I've had to work from home, I feel that trust has been broken. I feel that he doesn't really believe that I'm doing the work that he knows I normally do because he can't see me doing it. And I thought, oh, that's, that's a real challenge as well because 
trust is essential. If, if somebody is feeling that trust is no longer present, then we withdraw really, really fast. We're, we're not going to be wanting to do our very best because we're feeling diminished. Our confidence is, is sort of sat and uh, we withdraw basically from, from um, doing, doing our best work. So I think there are so many challenges um, that need to be unpacked and, and moving forward in a, in a careful way to ensure that connection is maintained without being intrusive and it's done in a supportive way because the other aspect is that especially in periods of prolonged lockdown where people are often living on their own, that sense of loneliness and disconnect is, is very disturbing um, and again, quite destructive to people's health but also the relationship they have with, with their work colleagues and their workplace. So there's a bit of work to be done in that space too. Definitely. You know, the key words that, that keeps coming to mind is resilience. And, and it's, it's all those impacts that we've, we've talked about, but also, you know, social isolation, mm. um, the, the state of the economy, financial worries, you know, um, different working arrangements, more pressure, um, mm all of which, you know, we may not necessarily see them all together, but they're, they're contributing and they're building up and impacting employees right now. So resilience is, is just key on how do we support our people better. Yeah, that's right. And you've written a book. Um, so tell us a bit more about that. Yes, I have. Uh, my latest book was released in the beginning of August. It's called Thriving Mind, How to Cultivate a Good Life. And uh, I have to say, I wrote this pre-COVID. I did not know a pandemic <laughs> was going to land in our laps. I wrote it because I was really concerned about the overwhelm and the overwork uh, and the exhaustion and burnout that I was seeing um, in my clients. And I really wanted to sort of provide some reminders about what it takes to be uh, a happy human, really. So it, it's um, it's in three sections, and it talks about what we can do to create greater happiness in our life, and not the happy clappy sort of happiness, but the the deeper sense of calm, content. I'm in control. Life isn't perfect, but I'm managing okay, because I think that that gives us the confidence to step into every day, feeling it's going to be all right, no matter how many curveballs come my way. It also looks at the thriving piece what is important to, to manage our health and well-being as best as we can by identifying what I call our non-negotiables, which are different for everybody. Uh, for some people, they, they know that if they get that 20-minute jog or um, they do a meditation practice or they get enough sleep, that's what enables them to be at their best. And it's all those things we get told about in public health messages, but we choose to ignore because we're too busy doing other stuff. And just reminding us that if we want to be uh, high-performing um, people, doing our very best, um, delivering our best work, then we have to take care of this body and this mind that we've been given. And then the last piece uh, addresses the human side of um, us as people, and I, I delve into why trust is so important, the, the impact of mutual respect. And I, I do also look at kindness, compassion and empathy, where, you know, if we, if we give ourselves permission to embrace those 
more humanistic sides of ourselves that actually enables us to be the best version of ourselves too. Definitely. And where can we get a, a copy of the book? It's available online, thank goodness, because we can't all get out to the <laughs> shops. So you can get Very it from, true. <laughs> from Booktopia and Amazon. It's available as a soft copy and an ebook. I'm hoping to have an audible sometime soon, but it's not there yet. And it's also available in the bookstores that are open, like um, Dimmock's, um, and we've got Boffin's. Uh, and Angus and Robertson, and also you can get it from my website. Fantastic. And what a great, great achievement. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. So we're coming to a close for our podcast today. Um, so thank you so much, Jenny, for taking the time out to, to come onto the podcast with us. We've really enjoyed you know, hearing your insights today. Thanks to the listeners for joining us on Inside Healthy Teams. Apricot can help you build a healthy organization for the future. And do check us out on our website or our social media. Thank and you, thank, Jenny. Thank you so much, Avril. It's been a great conversation. Not at all. Thanks for listening to Inside Healthy Teams by Apricot Consulting. We hope you found it helpful. And if you did, it would help us if you could rate and review this episode on your podcast platform and subscribe for more episodes. For more information, go to apricotconsulting.us.